take a moment to reflect back and remember back to the uh, very beginning of this retreat and how that was for you, uh, you know, the first times of, of doing the sitting and the walking practice. And of course it's going to vary for, for each of us, but um, I'm sure for many of you, you found that um, it was hard. Perhaps you could be present with whatever, you know, two or three breaths. Maybe you're gone for 10 minutes before you kind of wake up and realize you've been lost in thinking. You come back, maybe you only get a breath or two. Um, for, for many of us, when we first come on the retreat, as, as, as you're discovering, you know, we have to go through the settling in process. We realize when we're first starting, we're, we're not very good at it, right? It's, it's hard. We can barely do it, maybe. And yet, isn't it amazing that even from that starting point that may have felt, I mean, I don't want to kick in our judging, comparing mind, but if, sometimes it can feel very feeble almost. That was fully enough to, in only a few days, we can go pretty far. A lot can happen. From that starting point that, you know, felt like, you know, I'm never going to, if this is the, what I've got to work with, it's not enough. It's not good enough. There is no way. And yet it can take us very deep. And I find that that's very encouraging because what it's saying is you don't have to be any better at it than you are. You don't have to have a better mind. You don't have to be a better yogi. You can just bring all of who and what you are and we just put ourselves and we do the best we can without stressing out about it. And it's amazing the kind of results that can happen. It's not saying, as you all know, that we don't have ups and downs and that there aren't struggles and difficulties. But there also can be times of incredible uh, opening and clarity and it can go very deep. And I find this to be very encouraging, especially what I want to talk about tonight is as we're gonna, going to transition. You know, there, one way I love that, that people say is that the retreat doesn't end, it's just going to take a different form after tomorrow morning. Right? So the form is going to change, and several people have um, said something to me about, you know, can we talk about, you know, how to, people seem, few of them seemed a little worried, not everyone who talked to me about, you know, uh, can we, you know, can we talk about how to, I don't want to lose this, and I want to keep it going, and I want to keep growing in this, right? Well, the good news is, in exactly the same way, using the um, example I just gave, when you go back into your daily life, it's amazing. You don't have to be a different person than you are. You don't have to have better or different life circumstances than you have. Not at all. In exactly the same way that you saw for yourself, I hope many of you did, to some degree here, from what, from what, what may not feel like much can go very far. It's the same thing. We can, it's literally true that uh, for every one of us, I'm not just trying to give some feel-good talk here, it's literally true that for every one of us, given the circumstances we have to work with, it is enough to keep deepening us, moving us forward in, um, in this freedom, this liberation practice that we're talking about. And so that's what I want to discuss um, this evening. I remember at one of my early retreats, uh, it may have even been my first retreat, it was a 10-day retreat, and um, I remember um, leaving, driving down the road, driving away in tears. I had gotten into these beautiful, wonderful meditative states. It was great. It was kind of blissful and, you know, all these kind of things that can happen. Um, and it was kind of new to me, so I was very inspired. And after spending 10 days uh, practicing non-clinging, um, now I was clinging worse than ever to these beautiful meditative states that I knew I was about to lose. Right? And so for each of us, you know, we're, we're going to head back to, you know, for some of us, we may be looking forward to getting back home and wow, I can finally, you know, there's that movie I want to see or I can finally go, I don't know, you know, get a steak or, you know, I don't know what, whatever it is for each of us. <laughs> whatever your thing is, or, you know, you're a loved one, or just, you know, we're, we're looking forward to it. And 
I'll bet, you know, if, if we were to go around and check in, there's plenty of us who it's just the opposite. It, we're, we're really heading back into some very challenging, difficult circumstances. And it may be, you know, it could be quite difficult, the idea of heading back into life uh, for many of us. And that's very common. If that's happening to you, we'll talk some tonight. I'm sure we'll talk some tomorrow about, you know, working with these things. And it's, it's part of what we all have to deal with. You know, for all of us, life is some combination of pleasant and unpleasant circumstances, right? Life's a mix. Depending on our particular circumstances at any moment or any time in our lives, some of us here are going to have more unpleasant than pleasant. Some of us will have more pleasant than unpleasant. But life is a mix, right? So we're going back to this mix. And so tonight, I particularly want to talk about some ways that we can apply what we've learned here. It doesn't have to be that, you know, we, we create, it's very common to create this split or this um, gap between retreats. That's when it really happens. And then life where we just lose it and we aren't making any progress and we just fall back into all our own patterns and we just struggle and struggle until maybe someday we can make it back to the next retreat. You know, um, I appreciated Eugene's talk a lot last night on truth. And among the various things he was discussing was the Four Noble Truths and this truth of suffering and et cetera. You know, um, I don't think we, you know, we don't need the Buddha to tell us about suffering. <laughs> we don't. We're all experts. We know all about it. Every one of us. What we're not experts about is what to do. That's when we need maybe a little, a little help. And for uh, most of us, many of us, probably all of us to some degree, that we keep trying the same strategies over and over, hoping to get a different result. Um, you know, and, and really, all of us, are, we're all doing the same thing. Every, it's, it's, it's kind of silly to say it, it's so obvious, but we're all looking for more happiness. We're, we're all trying to avoid unhappiness, and we're all even though there's, there's a few people here that I know, but there's no one here that I know, I know well. Yet I feel like I'm on pretty safe ground to make this statement. The following statement. Every one of us are seeking happiness, at least in part, by trying to do what? What is it we're all doing? We're trying to get more pleasant experiences in our lives get more of what we want, and have less of what we don't want, right? I mean, it is kind of silly to say that. Isn't it true? Anyone here trying to get less of what you want and more of what you don't want? No, of course not. Right? And that's not a problem. I actually don't think that's a problem. It's natural to seek our happiness, our well-being, our welfare in this way. Right? It's part of being a human being. Matter of fact, I think all living creatures do this. Even, um, <clears throat> you know, little single-cell organisms, if whatever stimulus they like, you know, if they like the light or certain kind of nutrients, if you put it there, they'll go towards it. And if, you, if they don't like light, they'll kind of scoot away, right? So um, it's, it's not wrong that we do that, and it's part of being a human being. And I don't think we have to stop being a human being. The problem is, if that's our only strategy, then our happiness is, I think it's rather fragile. It's dependent upon circumstance, right? And we all know, I hope we all know, that despite our best efforts and trying really hard, which we're all doing, whether it's conscious or unconscious, to set up life the way we want it to be, sometimes you get what you want and sometimes you don't. And sometimes you get what you don't want, right? I don't think we're being asked to uh, stop trying to change our circumstances. One way to think of it is we're really just being asked to add one piece in. Rather than having, having only one strategy of, for our happiness or our well-being, which is, you know, pleasant and no unpleasant, we can start to make a shift, and, and I don't know if we really said it this way on this retreat, but it's really what we've been doing here. We can start to make a shift so that um, our happiness is not totally tied up in the experience so much 
rather than how are we relating to whatever experience we're having. We can start to shift. It's not so much about the content, it's more how we're relating. It's the difference someone brought up today, the, uh, pain and suffering. That question, pain versus suffering, that's an example of that, right? So in these teachings, of course, every moment holds the possibility of freedom, and it all depends how we use it. Um, but we also know that that can be easier said than done. So if we say to you, don't cling, sounds like a good idea, but, and you, can't, you can do that in a, in a given moment, right? But you can't keep it up, because when the right causes and conditions come together, we're just going to be hooked right in. It's got us. We didn't do anything wrong. It's just we haven't, you know, we still have some knots of habitual patterns and conditioning of the mind that's, that still need to be untangled. Right? And so, really, that's one of the main reasons we do these various practices, right? We're strengthening these supportive qualities. Part of it is to create certain experiences which in and of themselves can be nurturing and healing, right? When we can learn to chill out and be more calm and less stressful, just in that in and of itself is a real place of uh, freedom from suffering. But also, um, we're here learning to open our hearts, quiet our minds, uh, to be more, you know, pick your adjectives, more awake, more clear, more present, less reactive, more loving. It may not feel like that's, always feel like that's what's happening when we're here. But the, this is kind of the, the um, uh, what's, what's working on this as we, as we cook in, in uh, you know, this process cooks us. Um, you know, we develop these wholesome qualities that are supports to help uh, loosen that, uh, those reactive habitual tendencies in the mind so we can start to, rather than automatically just get buffeted around by experiences, to start to learn to be more free in the midst of things. And by wholesome, I just mean, I don't mean, I'm not saying good or bad, but I, I, I just mean it in the sense of their qualities that, that just of the heart and mind that just lead us to more happiness and to less suffering. Um, so it shouldn't surprise us when we come on retreat that, it's, that it can be hard because our minds aren't trained. I'm making a generic statement. I, again, it's going to vary for each of us. But certainly, um, you know, just reflect in your own life. Um, how much of your time do you spend just training the mind and the heart? How much of your time do you spend just busy with the business of life? Whatever that is. No judgment about it. It's just something, you know, we're all very busy. And, you know, we, and, and for many of us, it's hard to find the time to do the formal trainings that can support us, <clears throat> whatever that might look like for each of us. So... There's a few things I want to offer up that I think can help close this gap in our lives between retreat practice and daily life practice and can help strengthen these qualities that can really carry through even in our daily lives more and more to enable us to really, not as a good idea, but actually as a lived experience to start to find um, more freedom. That's a word I like to use. I don't really like the word enlightenment so much. Personally, it's just personal taste. Sometimes that word enlightenment can have the feeling of you know, something, I mean, way far away from my life. Maybe that's for someone off in a cave or something. Right? But for me, living in the world, boy, I don't know. But freedom, that's something we can start tasting. And I'm going to propose um, all of us have tasted more and more of. I'll come back to that in a bit. So the first thing I, I think is important is to get clear about your intention for your life. What's your aspiration? What's your intention? And in order to do that, I actually want to take a very short bit of time right now and do a short little guided reflection. It's about two minutes long is all. So it's going to be very short. And I'm just going to offer up four different little statements or phrases. And you don't, don't try to think it through. Just let the words come in, 
And you know, you may or may not get kind of a felt sense of something, but just don't try to overanalyze it too much, okay? Just get whatever you get. So here's the first reflection. I'm going to say it in a, in a few different ways because sometimes one way of saying it resonates with people better than another. So the first reflection, and literally we'll just take a few seconds with each, is to ask yourself or to reflect on what is your deepest intention for your life? What is the deepest intention for your life? Or another way to, to say it is uh, what is your life about, or perhaps what do you want your life to be about in the deepest or highest sense? What's it all about? <coughs> Another way you might say it is what's your highest aspiration for your life? Okay, so that's the first. And you may want to, by the way, take these later and spend more time on it too, but just that's enough for now. Second reflection then, how happy are you with how you're actually living your life in relationship to whatever came to you from that first reflection? There's no right or wrong, but just to see for yourself what's true. How happy are you with, or satisfied are you with how you're actually living your life in relationship to your highest aspiration, the deepest sense of what you want your life to be about. And I'm not talking about particularly what the form it looks like externally. I'm, I'm more thinking from an internal perspective, but it really can be however you want to take it. Okay, third reflection. To the extent there is some dissatisfaction, that means there's really some gap, there's some chasm or gap between this highest ideal and how satisfied you are. And if there, to the extent there is a gap there, what is it that creates the, back, what, the, the gap? What holds you back? What, what creates some place that, where, we, we, where we don't live in the way that's, that we feel satisfied with? And then the final reflection. What are the sorts of things that would support you in your life to live more in line or more in harmony or more in tune with your deepest aspiration? What would be supportive? Okay, so that's quick. So, you know, we may or may not have gotten a sense of something. Uh, those answers, whatever. If, if you did get anything, it's going to vary for each of us. You know, and nobody can tell us what our highest or deepest aspiration for our life should be. But um, I hope, given that you're all here at a Dharma Center doing a meditation retreat, that at least a piece of it would be um, some deepening in these Dharma principles. Love, compassion, wisdom, clarity, freedom. I would hope that, and I'm sure it is true for many of us, that that at least can be a piece. Whatever it is, is you know, is fine, but um, I would expect that to be true for a number of us. Now, once we, do, once we can start to get clearer about what our aspirations are, our motivations, our intention for our life, and that may be a process you need to spend some time on. I, you know, it may not have happened in, you know, this two-minute little exercise. Then we can start from there, let, now that we're more conscious of it, we can start to make some choices in what we do, how we live, what we do with our time that can help lead us to live more in harmony with them. Now we don't have to be perfect about it, we just do the best we can. We just start inclining our, ourselves in that direction. We don't want to create another suffering or create a stress about, oh, I've got to do this thing. Right? So I'm not talking about making these judgments or comparing ourselves or thinking we're less than or not living up in some way. Um, as a matter of fact, the Buddha uh, was very clear that some of these, you know, certainly the word judging and having some 
making decisions or making distinctions has its place in, in the healthy sense or the wholesome sense. But I'm talking about the, in the unwholesome place where we really can be quite harsh on ourselves. And it really doesn't help us and creates a lot of suffering. In those ways, um, you know, probably not so helpful. And yet, you know, are any of us completely free from judgments? I don't, those kind of judgments, I don't know. So if you are going to judge yourself anyway, <laughs> I would like to offer up that perhaps um, rather than judging it by how good or bad you think you're doing it based on whatever that criteria is, um, well, first I want to say you're, Really, you're the least qualified to judge yourself of everyone, right? Because you don't, you're not objective, you're, you're in it, for one thing. But if we're going to judge ourselves, um, I think going back to that reflection, not by how it shows up and how you think it's supposed to be compared to what you're actually doing, much, what's much more deeply true about you is exactly what we just did in that first reflection. What's your aspiration? What's your intention? That speaks much more truly. How good or bad it shows up, that's just the habits of our mind, you know, and that's what we're working on. The fact that you would be motivated to want to deepen in compassion or wisdom, that says a lot about you. Don't overlook that. Um, So then okay, we start to make some choices in what we're going to do, whatever that's going to be. Even if we start getting clearer about the directions we want to head, and maybe if we get some help around some of the choices we make, I'm going to try and be more specific in a bit. It's still, I want to acknowledge something that we all know, but sometimes uh, we think it's just us and it's not everybody else. And that is, it's still not necessarily easy to do this Certainly not in, in um, daily life. And we see even, on, even in the retreat context where there's, we're full time, you know, it's, it's these supportive conditions and there's nothing to do here but to show up mindfully, being present with things as they are, trying to be kind to ourselves. You know, there's a few basic things we're doing here. We can see how hard even that can be here. So, of course, when we get out into, into life, it can even be harder. Uh, my, my absolute favorite story, and I, I think there may be some people who have heard this, I tell it many times because I love the story so much, is um, I do some work in a couple of the state prisons. We have um, a Buddhist and meditation groups down at the two state prisons that are down at Soledad. And um, one of these prisons, which is uh, Salinas Valley State Prison, it's a level four. That's the like highest level of like the the... I don't know the right word, the worst kind of prison. And so in that prison, um, you know, there's some pretty tough guys in there. And, um, you know, there's often violent incidents in which they have to lock down the prison. You know, somebody gets stabbed or there's a fight or something happens and then everybody's locked down in their cells until they, everything can quiet down and they figure out what's going on. And so um, the lockdowns can last it can be a half a day or a day or a few days or longer. And once there was a lockdown, it lasted for two months. And I don't want to go off into this too much. It's a little bit of an aside, but, you know, there's two men to a cell. And these, for those of you who are in a single room, these cells are a lot smaller than the single rooms here. Two men in a bunk bed. It's, it's really kind of small. And when you're locked down, you're in there 24 hours a day. You're fed in your cell. You don't go out except twice a week, one at a time, in handcuffs, they take you out to, to get uh, a shower. You get a few minutes for a shower on your back. And so for whatever reason, this lockdown lasted two months. So we couldn't run our program. Finally, at the end of the two months, the, um, um, the lockdowns listed, lifted. We could start running our program again, again. So we showed up, and it was the first meeting of these guys. And so we're checking in. How are you guys doing? Some of them had a lot of equanimity and could could flow with it and they did okay. Others, you know, weren't, as you can imagine, were not doing well at all. And then I went around and I asked, well, how's your meditation practice going? And one guy said to me, you know, I just couldn't find the time to, uh, <laughs> to meditate. 
what's he got to do in there? You know, I mean, they play cards, they have a TV. You know, what's he watching, like the 10th the rerun of I Love Lucy or something? I mean, you know, I loved it. It was great. I didn't, it was, it was like, wow, it's not just me. There's something, you know, there's something very human about this, right? So we should all take that story. That's why I love it so much. It's not just you. Right? And how much easier it is to get distracted. I remember um, I used to work as a, for many years as an engineer in Silicon Valley. And um, I'd come home and you know, I'd be tired at night. And it didn't be the weekend. I remember once it was a Sunday night. And um, you know, I'd watch a little TV. I found it was just really a good thing for if I want to just turn off my mind and kind of space out, I don't know, it was just, you know, just relax. I didn't have to read or anything. So it was late at night, I turned it on, there was some old, I don't remember, it was like a John Wayne movie. I don't even like John Wayne movies. It was some old movie. And I'm watching it, it's going on, and I think it was like one or two in the morning, and I'm watching this dumb movie. I had seen it once before, and it wasn't a good movie, but somehow, and, I, and you know, I knew, I kept saying, you know, Richard, you're just going to be tired tomorrow, you're not going to be able to get up and meditate, and yet I was just, I even knew, but somehow there was the pull there just to space out in this movie, right? And so I, and I knew what was happening, and still I watched the whole thing, got to bed at 2.30 in the morning, I was totally sleepy the next day. So we just want to acknowledge that when these forces pull us, it's not so easy just to drop it sometimes. So we just want to be aware of that and then start to, once we start to see, oh yeah, then we can start to learn and practice how we work with these strong forces um, that sometimes pull us in directions that aren't really what serves us best. I mean, I don't think there was anything wrong. It did kind of serve me. I kind of relaxed and I'm not saying I didn't get anything from it. Obviously, there was some payoff there in the movie. So then as we... I think another thing that can really help us, and this is for retreats, but also in um, daily life, is finding this balance between making effort, yet not getting too caught up in expectations. And that's not saying nothing's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Right? But we really create a lot of um, suffering about... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's this interesting balance because there is a path of cultivation that the Buddha laid out. There's an eightfold path. Uh, we didn't get into it, but Eugene uh, touched on it last night. There's a path that leads somewhere, right? So in that sense, you could say we're moving in some direction or, or we're getting to some place we're not. Or, you know, you could look at it from that point of view, but we have to be careful because it can also take us right out of, at the same time, being right where we are. And so at the same time we're, we're heading in a direction towards more freedom and liberation, we also, it's funny, at the same time, want to uh, find that place of not going anywhere and really waking up to be where we are. So they're kind of both there at the same time. I remember once on, um, I was on a long retreat and um, I knew better than this, but I, uh, I showed up at the retreat with a, a whole plan on how it was going to go. And by the way, I've been meditating for, um, well, I started in 1970, I've been doing this for a while, and so I actually know better than this, but, and this was only about three years ago, so you'd think I'd know. <laughs> and I had it all planned out. Um, and this was a long retreat, and, and I had previously had experience there. Some of you know there's these certain meditative states you can get to called jhana, and it's this whole thing and they're great you know if you can get there and it's it's a whole piece of the practice uh, for those who are inclined and interested so and I had touched those spaces before so I thought okay this is gonna be great you know I was gonna be there for a number of months and so I uh, thought okay let's see I've gotten to John at this point in the past so okay I'm gonna hit it by this point and then from there it's gonna go like this and open up this is gonna be great so I'd been there for several months no John <laughs> and I was suffering bad. Like, this is my big retreat, and oh, it's not working, and yeah, the retreat was going fine. <laughs> so I went to the teacher, totally upset, you know, oh, and I'm not, in, and, and the teacher kindly pointed out, which is, of course, true, he said, um, 
Well, you know, the, the deeper truths are realized not by gaining any particular meditative state. You know, those are tools to serve us. But really, the deeper truths are non-clinging to whatever state is arising. And I said back something like, well, yes, of course that's true. But in order to realize that fact, I've got to get whatever. I couldn't <laughs> let go of my clinging. And so I continued to suffer. And it really took a, number, a long time. And, and at some point, everything opened up. But it really didn't come until, I guess maybe there's a level of relaxation we can hit. And it's through that non -over, not overstriving that I hit a place where um, I didn't care anymore, truly. I was just in a place of kind of peace or equanimity. And then whatever came could come. So I think if we can start to carry that aspect, but we still, we don't want to stop making effort in our lives. You know, we're all going to do the best we can, right? Everybody's doing the best you can. Right? Ajahn Chah, uh, you know, the great um, Thai meditation master, has this wonderful analogy that I love. Um, some of you heard this where he talks about growing a chili plant. And he says, you know, if you're going to grow a chili plant, your job is to, you know, you prepare the soil and you plant the seed. And you protect it from the insects and make sure it gets sunlight and you water it. That's your part of the bargain. How fast it grows or not isn't up to you. It's none of your business, right? And you can't make it happen anyway. Your job is to do your part of the bargain and then be happy. But what we do is we want to show up. We want to have the, you know, plant the seed and have it grow, flower, and produce chilies all in one day. <laughs> and it's exactly how it is. We come here, it's like, I got to get, right? And one of the things we start to learn, I hope, is that actually you can't make anything happen. Right? Can you come in here and sit down and say, okay, no fooling around this time. <laughs> this sit. I'm going to get concentrated. I'm going deep. It, right? Can you? Everybody's laughing because, of course, you can't do it. What, we're, what we can do is strengthen the supportive conditions so that the mind is inclined in those directions. Right? So we're more prone, and the supportive conditions have strengthened. And then moment by moment, you get what you get. So can you be happy? This is an interesting question, right? This is what, by the way, that teacher also said to me. And at the time, my answer was no. Eventually, it got to yes. I don't know what your answer will be. If you came here, of course, it's toward the end of the retreat now, so maybe it's not the time to ask. It would have been better at the beginning. But you know, what if you came here? Nothing happened, but you tried, I mean, of course, it's not possible for nothing to happen, but you know what I'm saying. You didn't get whatever you thought was supposed to happen, and yet you really came here and sincerely did your best. Could you just walk on down the road with a heart and mind at peace? You did every, everything. Interesting question to ask yourself. When we go back into our lives, given the circumstances of our life, we're going to use what we can the best we can, right? We'll make the effort, we cultivate the practice, and then can we relax? Um, into getting what, you know, it's getting back to what do you do with you get what you get, right? We tend to think that progress in, in you know, if we really, once I finally make progress, what's going to happen is, you know, if I really went deep in the practice, I'm going to like enter some, I don't know, some medit permanently enter some transcendent meditative state or whatever we think it's supposed to be. But you know, meditative states come and go, right? Samadhi, mindfulness, they're important, they're a big deal. We don't want to diminish their importance. But at the same time, we want to recognize they're also impermanent, they come and go. They're inherently unsatisfactory. If we're looking to any particular experience or state to do it for us, what's actually, and so I want to be really clear, I think the meditative states are a big deal, they're real important. And we haven't really been focusing on that so much in this retreat. We could have a whole retreat. You can go into Eugene's concentration retreats and everything. And so I think those are real important. But we don't want to make it an object of clinging. That's the key. It just sets up suffering. We want to, we want to use these tools and cultivate the tools. But it's in service of the liberation. And if we're creating more suffering along the path to free ourselves from suffering, I think we've kind of missed the point there a little bit, right? We're missing something there. You know, when the Buddha taught, 
it was as real as this moment is real right now. Think about that, you know. There was a real man sitting there, just as real as this here. And people were actually sitting in the present moment with the Buddha. And there's all these stories, lots of stories in the uh, Pali Suttas and, and the discourses that have been preserved in the t uh, of people just hearing a discourse from the Buddha and coming to a, a, a great, a tremendous um, liberation and, and a very deep, profound awakening. Um, now, of course, the Buddha was probably an um, extraordinarily gifted teacher. I think there's no doubt about that. He probably had a, a, just a, a, um, an amazing presence. It's also said that he had all these psychic powers, so he knew exactly what was needed with any particular person in any particular moment in any particular circumstance. So there was all that. Right along with that, I bet, I'm just imagining here, that you know, if you thought you were listening to the Buddha right now, the quality of your listening will be on a whole different level. Your receptiveness, your openness, not your idea of what you wanted, not what you liked and what you didn't like, but really some deep quality on a whole other level, right? You know, take, you could take a moment and just imagine it. I'm, you know, it doesn't have to be me, it could be this blank thing. There. The Buddha's sitting there. You know, how's it feel? Well, even if you're faking it a little, just, you know, conjure it up a little, right? What's the level of presence? What's the level of listening? Can we bring that level of listening to the moments of our lives? It's a real shift. Someone once used this analogy. I'm not sure where it came from. I think I heard it from one of the Spirit Rock teachers, but um, I really liked it. And they said, um, it's, it's a thought experiment of imagining that everybody's enlightened, fully enlightened, but you. And they're doing everything they're doing in service of your waking up. Right. Um, I've actually tried that experiment for a day to go around just to take on that attitude. I don't, I don't really think, well, actually, I don't actually have a clue if it's true or not. And, well, I should say, if it is true, um, you're all doing a really great job. And uh, <laughs> I just want to <laughs> express my appreciation. <laughs> But, <laughs> but I took it on for a day. It shifted everything. Rather than getting caught in my likes and dislikes and how I thought it should be, it shifted everything around. It was exactly what Eugene was pointing to last night of really more looking to what's true and then what is the teaching here? What's, what's, there, and there's always a teaching here for us in any moment. If it's true that the potential of liberation and freedom is always there, we've got to start to look and open ourselves and we shift our relationship with everything. Then can we bring the listening, that level of listening to life and listening to ourselves? So I think it's something to kind of think about as you go back into your life, not like my life's all screwed up and well, I can't practice because I got two kids and I've got a whatever your story is. You know, I've got this health issue, and, and I'm not saying, listen, don't get me wrong. I know for a fact that in this room, there are plenty of people here dealing with, you know, stuff that's, I mean, you know, big stuff. Serious health, I don't want to stir anyone up here, it's not my point, but just to acknowledge, I'm not, I'm not diminishing those challenges in any way. In any way, whatever your challenge is. Okay, and some people have shared a few of them with me, and you know, your heart just opens up. And we know that because we all know what it's like to suffer, right? I'm not experiencing loss or grief right now, but I have. And when someone tells me about that, you know, my heart really feels it, right? Isn't that what happens? Because we know what it's like to suffer. So I don't want to diminish or trivialize it like, well, you know, open up to the experience of your life and, you know, and, and no, it's, I'm not saying it's always easy to think. We do the best we can. We do the best we can. A big, big shift happened in my own practice. And, and what I'm about to say, I want to be clear, I'm not making any big claims here. And, and I, you know, I have my times where I get caught in things, and of course, and I, I think by definition, until we reach the end of the path, um, you know, we're, gonna ha we're not going to be totally free, and we're still a work in progress. 
but a big shift happened to me in my practice when I got just as interested in my suffering. It was, I was amazed when it happened. Just as interested in my suffering as I was in my bliss. Maybe more interested. Bliss is actually is, gets kind of boring after a while. <laughs> That's true. It's, it's, it's great, but you know, it's kind of... <laughs> but we can start to look at, at how the mind works and to notice how, isn't it amazing how there's times when your story comes around or some difficulty or there's some knee pain in the body or whatever it is that's hard and you can be present with it and you just be open and free and, and not suffering and then one time it comes around and it's just got us. What was it about that time? I don't know. It's kind of mysterious. Start to really get interested in how the mind works around it. We change our relationship. You know, if we want to become free from our suffering, we need to understand our suffering. How is it we understand something? We have to come to know it. We have to experience it. And if we're always busy avoiding any... I'm not telling you to go out and seek suffering. You know, one of the, I think, real beauties of Spirit Rock, and I'm not, I, I'm not trying to go for a laugh here. Um, I'm actually quite serious, is... Um, you know, you can go and practice at some places that can really have a fierceness to it. Yeah, if any of you have gone and practiced, say, with Goinka, with those folks, I know there are people here. And, and, and it's, it, it's very powerful. I'm not, this isn't a, any kind of judgment about it. I'm just saying you can go practice in these very fierce environments. And for many people, it's, it serves them very well. Um, any of you know who George Lakoff is? You know, he wrote the book, um, um, uh, Moral uh, politics and don't think of an elephant and he had this model in politics of how some people tend to uh, work and he what he what he called the strict father model of and some are the nurturing parent model and so it's in the spiritual world too you know there's the strict father model here at Spirit Rock we're more the nurturing parent model right we really want to not faking but create an environment um, of um, love and being kind to ourselves and and we don't have to go seeking suffering because we're so good, I'm saying we as a generalization, so good at being hard on ourselves anyway. We, we don't need that. We need to really give ourselves a break and then plenty of opportunities to suffer come our way. We don't have to worry about it. We'll get plenty. So we don't have to go seeking out the suffering, but when it comes to us, then we need to start to shift our relationship. But in order to do that, it's dependent on being mindful, right? Right? What is the, um, what's the instruction, the meditation instruction for when, you know, you sit and meditate and say whatever, you're working with the breath. What's the meditation, what's the meditation instruction when you've spaced out and you've gotten lost and you've gone and you've, you've uh, forgotten about the breath? What's the instruction? Yeah, several people have said, come back. Right, that's what most of us would say. Actually, that's the instruction once you wake up and realize you're gone. When you're gone, there is no instruction. You're gone. You don't even know you're gone. No problem. Don't worry about it. Don't make a problem. When you're gone, just be gone. Yeah, you know, you might suffer some, all right. But when you wake up, you can use your time well, and you don't, we don't make a problem, you just come back. It's exactly the same when we're in daily life. And this is something, if you can really get, I think can ease your mind a lot. I know many people who take it very seriously, and I think we should do this, trying to really be as mindful as they can during the day. And I was sharing with one of the groups, I knew, you know, people try many tricks. One person I know put these little sticky, um, pad notes, uh, stickums all over their house, on the mirror, on the telephone, on the, and every time they would see one, it would remind them to be mindful. But what they reported to me was after a while, they just stopped seeing them. <laughs> Look, we're going to do the best we can, and so what happens? We go out into our lives, and who knows? It'll be however it is. Maybe you get two or three breaths, you remember, and then you're gone for three hours. And then you remember, oh, gee, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be mindful. I'm not doing it, you know, it's so hard and we beat ourselves up. Don't worry about it. You can't stop it anyway. There's going to be times when you're just gone. Maybe it's a lot of the time. It's just like in the meditation. Remember back I said when you first came here, 
four days ago? Even if you were lost in thought 99% of the time, just by coming back to the breath, when you did remember was enough for it to keep deepening. It's the same in your daily life. So don't worry about when you're gone and lost and completely on automatic pilot. No problem. You don't even know. When you do remember then, don't create a problem then too. Just use your time the best you can. Okay, now I'm back. Now I can work, bring some mindfulness. Be conscious in how I'm acting. Don't make a stress about it. Don't struggle to keep from going off. Just put in some effort, be there. Have some a sense of relaxation, you know, that balance between effort and, and then, you know, you'll go again. No problem. Everything's fine. Use the time you, when you are awake the best you can. Having said that, one of the reasons I think it's good to find some kind of Dharma practice uh, that we bring into our, um, into our daily lives, and I use the word Dharma practice uh, very broadly, um, I happen to be really big on formal sitting meditation practice, and it's been very, very supportive in my own life. And I, I would encourage people who are drawn to, 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 to take that on. But, you know, the word, Dharma practice has many forms that it takes. And so whatever that is for you, I encourage you to the best you can without make, creating more suffering. Yes, if we can try to bring some of these practices in, it does help strengthen our concentration. It does help strengthen our mindfulness. It does carry through. So we tend, and one of the things that many people find is that we then over time, we do tend naturally to be on automatic pilot less of the time. And when we do go off, we, we're not as deeply lost. Okay, right? So it is supportive to find some formal practices too. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. Last year there was, uh, some of you may have gone to this, there was this tour, it was at the Shambhala Center in Berkeley and maybe some other places in the Bay Area too are of, of Buddhist relics. Did some of you go? A few people are nodding your head. And so the, the Tibetans were bringing these Buddhist relics. What Buddhist relics are is um, when a great master dies, there may be some things that person owned or, excuse me, if they say, for example, if they cremate the body, they may take bits of ash or bits of bone or in these relics of these little round spheres and um, I don't know what that were left in there so they they have the relics and then people use them just to honor respect to help connect us back to a to a real experiential sense of that person so my wife and I went to see the Buddhist relics there we go in it was just very sweet and there were all these different people from many different traditions and it had a really great feeling and people were just somewhere they had this chanting music playing and people were meditating and you come around to the and there were these little tiny glass bowls and then made just a few specks of something you come to the first one, there's the little, little speck of something that says, Shakyamuni Buddha, that, that's our Buddha. I'm saying to my wife, yes, that's the Buddha, you know. <laughs> yeah, I haven't got a clue if it's the actual the Buddha. I don't know. And if I had to bet, I, I really don't know. I bet, maybe not. But you know what? In any way that actually, um, in any way that actually mattered, that's the Buddha. It doesn't matter or whatever. The living sense and presence and sense of connection was so there. I was just crying right away. I've, I'm feeling a little now just thinking about it. It just was so inspiring. Okay, we go down to the next one. Um, um, I actually wrote down here some of I'm just going to name a few here in the order that they were. Oh, yeah, there's Ananda, the little speck there, the sign Ananda. Uh, it's Ananda. You know, that's, that was the, um, uh, the Buddha's younger cousin who had been the Buddha's attendant during the last 25 years of the Buddha's life. And as a matter of fact, when you read the, the discourses, the, the suttas, and it starts off, you know, thus have I heard, that's Ananda speaking, recounting the story. I'm, I'm kind of getting all goosebumpy right now just thinking about it. Really, I, it's so inspiring. And I just felt like, wow, this living person, it was alive, right? These great masters. And you went by, there was um, Sariputta and Mahamogalana, the two chief disciples. And then my favorite of all, a Kondonya. Kondonya was um, one of the five ascetics that the Buddha had practiced with for a number of years before his enlightenment. And then when he, after his enlightenment, he gave his first Dharma talk back. It's called Setting in Motion or, or Turning the Wheel of the Dharma or Setting in Motion the Wheel of the Dharma. It was on the uh, middle way in the Four Noble Truths. 
And the first one to get it was Condonia. And it said he had this deep awakening, and he was the first arhat. Arhat uh, means worthy one. It means you're enlightened. The Buddha was an arhat. And eventually all five got it. There's Condonia. And so, you know, it goes on and on there. You know, these great masters actually lived. And the reason I bring this up is, yes, I'm sure many of them were extraordinary beings, men and women. They were also just like us. They had lives. Definitely they had their struggles. Some of the stories of people, not just at the time of the Buddha, but some who've come down through the, through the centuries. You know, some of the stories are pretty t tough. They're dealing with what you had. They had problems with families. They had financial problems. You know, uh, Eugene would, was talking about the Buddha had a bad back. And, you know, the stories where he says, you know, Ananda, you know, my back, he didn't say, my back's hurt, killing me. You know, you have to go give, he didn't say that. You have to go give the Dharma talk. I need to lie down, right? You know, these were real people. They're just like us. And I find it in very, very inspiring that in the midst of the actual circumstance of their lives, um, working with what they had to work with, doing the best they can, when they were awake enough and when they were spaced out too, then they were spaced out. They could come to some really deep awakening and keep that, uh, you know, through the, the centuries alive down to us. And so here we are, I said this earlier, we're the living link in that chain. It isn't somebody else out there, it's us. We're the ones here, what are we doing? We're, we're here doing the practice. And I'm saying that because I, um, I want you to, I hope you'll take some inspiration and some heart and not be worried. You know, what is the message of those great masters to us? What is their message? It's exactly what we're doing there. It's learning to live according to the precepts, the seal or morality in a way, you know, of non-harming and being wise and skillful with our speech. You know, we don't have to be perfect. We're learning. We're in training. We do the best we can. It's learning to quiet the mind and open the heart in service of compassion and wisdom and all these beautiful qualities. That, and we're here doing it the best we can. As I said earlier, you could have gone and done anything. Right? And you came and put your time in here. We often think, I mentioned earlier, you know, that we're supposed to get into some, you know, never-ending, um, I don't know, you know, meditative bliss or something. And, and um, yes, that's important. But on a deeper, on a much more deep level, what this practice is actually doing is um, it's working on it free. It's working on our habitual conditioning, the habitual condition patterns of our minds, right? The places that keep us in reactivity, caught in aversion or grasping and clinging, and so the place that, that where we get buffeted around by our experience, right? The, that's, that's the habitual conditioning of our mind. That's what we're working on problem is you can't see your conditioning. Can you see it? Where is it? You can only get to it indirectly. When we bump up against some experience and then we see what happens with the mind. And so we're all on this great adventure together of, yes, we do want to develop these wonderful meditative states and they feel good and, and they'll serve us, but in a much deeper level, um, ever growing in our ability to be free and quite at peace in the midst of, a, of, of the inevitable ups and downs, the changing flow of pleasant and unpleasant in our lives. That's, what's, that's really the freedom. And so um, I invite you to reflect back, look in your own life, you know. Um, I'll bet for all of us you can probably um, find some place in your life where maybe you look back five years ago, ten, depending on how old you are, twenty years ago, whatever it was, and maybe some area where you used to really struggle and really suffer and really get caught a lot. And I'll bet, you know, maybe I hope we can all find at least some place where we can say, I certainly can, where I can say, you know, I don't suffer nearly as much as I used to around this thing. 
right? I'm a lot freer around that. You know? That's real fruit of, the, of living and growing of wisdom. That's a real fruit we can look at right now. It's not some enlightenment off someday in the future. That's a real freedom we're coming to in the midst of our lives now. Let's not take that for granted. And so we're on this path. You know, the Buddha said the Dharma is a path that leads only one way, right, to freedom. And so I want to leave you tonight. The whole purpose of the talk tonight wasn't to give you a, list, a checklist of things to do. We'll probably do that a little tomorrow, things like um, you know, finding supportive sanghas. You, you all know this stuff anyway. And you know, maybe reusing books or trying to find groups near you. Or you know, there's a lot of ways we look for you know, uh, um, you know, being around like-minded people, all these different things that we'll talk about. I'm hoping tonight that people can come with a sense of not worrying, because uh, this really came up for me today about people worrying, and can feel some appreciation for yourself and some inspiration. So this last image I want to give is very inspiring for me. Um, in the Buddhist, um, in the discourses, there's a lot of water imagery, lots and lots of water imagery. And among the water imagery, there's a lot of uh, imagery of rivers and streams that's used in many different ways. And one of those is the Dharma is like a great river that flows only one way. And so if we think to the ocean, so if we think about it, if we take the image of, you know, really a big river like the Amazon or the Nile or the Mississippi, and what is it that we know is true about those great rivers? One thing that's true about them is, is that water's going to the ocean, right? Is anything else possible? No way. And if you get in that river, you know, yeah, you might bump up against the side or for a while maybe snag up on a branch or something, but if you're out in the middle of you know, the Amazon River, given enough time, what's going to happen? You're going to be in the ocean, right? Nothing else is possible. It's not possible, oh, this is double negative, it's not possible that you won't make it to the ocean. Well, the Buddha's saying, and think about it, it's really true, that the Dharma, what we're doing here, it leads in only one direction. As we incline our minds in whatever way, those are the qualities that strengthen in us. So if we spend our life, you know, without ever trying to wake up and just going about, you know, reacting and pushing away the unpleasant and going for more pleasant, and lots of people do that, that's fine. Those are the qualities that will get strengthened in us. When we incline our mind towards mindfulness, compassion, all, the, you know, all these good qualities, nothing else is possible except they strengthen in us. And so there's this great quote from the novelist E.L. Doctorow about um, writing a novel, but I'm going to substitute writing a novel for, you could put life, but I'll put it for Dharma practice. He says, writing a novel, I'm going to say, Dharma practice is like driving a car at night. You can only see as far as the headlights, but you can complete the journey of a thousand miles that way. And it's true. So we come here, you don't have to be, I'm going to go back to what I said at the very beginning of the talk, you don't have to be a different person. You don't have to have better circumstances in your life than you have. What you have and your circumstances, what you have to bring to it is enough. You see as much as you see, and you'll make your best choice. And that'll get you a little further, and now you'll have a little more clear seeing. Okay, I can see a little more. I'll make from there my next best ch choice. That's all you need. You don't have to see more than you see. You don't have to be more awake than you are. It's really great news. And so, yes, we get in this river of, of life somehow, and it feels like, you know, we're heading to the ocean, but, you know, you know and, and an image I often use is, you know, okay, so we're in this river of, and we have our compass, and, you know, I know the ocean's to the south, and so I'm going south, and, you know, then the river went around a bend, and now, wait a minute, it's not going right, I'm heading north. Well, you know, we're in it. We can't see. And you know, if you go up in your helicopter, you'll go, oh, yeah, it winds around. Oh, yeah, it does go north a little, and then it bends. Eventually, it gets back around, and you head out. 
you know, you're heading in whatever direction and sometime it's going to bend the way we don't want and it's all screwed up and it's going to all fall apart or whatever. It's okay. This is a practice that inclines only one way. So really don't worry and, and I hope you'll just be of good cheer. And then to really go out and um, not forgetting to um, really connect with our, our aspiration and our intention and then if we can keep that in mind as much as we can and then we just do the best we can, I think uh, we can't go too wrong. Let's just um, sit quietly for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.